Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Renaissance. Again, my name is Jeff, if we haven't met, and I'm one of the leaders here. And I want to share something with you that I've been working through this week. Uh, Anthropologists, they're the people who study people, right? People who study people. Anthropologists have told us that stories are a central part of the human experience. They tell us that Stories help us to understand the world around us. It helps us to make sense of everything that we're living in. They, they even tell us that as infants, when we, get, when we begin to, to learn colors and shapes, that we are also learning the cadence of stories and how to put parts of stories together, even before we understand the language. And in 1944, there was a landmark a research study done that involved 34 students from a college in Massachusetts and they brought them in and they asked all of them to watch this really short film. And this short film had four characters in it, two triangles, a circle and a rectangle. And the triangles were moving back and forth on a two dimensional plane and the circle was moving as well. And at the end of watching this short film, they asked all 34 participants what this story meant. Only one of them actually said that it was two triangles and a circle moving in a two dimensional plane. Everyone else responded with something like this that the two triangles were actually trying to avoid the circle because the circle was taking advantage of it or something. Or they, they put together that the two triangles were actually men and they were fighting over the circle and the circle didn't want to have any part of it and kept moving around. All of that to say this is that the people were beginning to create a story to try to understand what was actually taking place in front of them. I, I love stories. I love the fact that we get to read stories in the Bible and that the Bible itself is one overarching story of God saving his people through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And I love how stories evoke imagination and make us wonder and think whether we're reading a novel or watching a film out of Hollywood. And as a child, even one of my most favorite types of stories were those stories that involve some supernatural being like a genie that would come before you and say, I'll grant you three wishes. You can have anything your hearts desire. Even as a a small boy, my friends and I used to play that game. If you had one wish, what would you wish for? And of course, we always add that rule, but there's this one rule. You can't ask for more wishes, right? There's the thing. You can have a wish, but you can't use your wish to ask for more wishes. And why, why is that exactly? I mean, think about it. If you were to, uh, to look deep inside of your heart and you can have anything that you so desire, whether it be fame, worldly fortune, or maybe even to see if you could get that one girl to love you or that one person to love you. We've learned this, that the reason we put a rule against asking for more wishes is because we all understand what happens when people actually get the very thing they desire in their hearts, that it never seems to satisfy them. And so they always want more wishes so that when they get the one thing they thought they, they needed and wanted and it doesn't satisfy them, they still have another wish to ask for something else and then another wish to ask for something else. That's why the genie in Aladdin says that there are rules to these wishes. You cannot make someone fall in love with you and you cannot ask for more wishes. 
There's a funny thing about the Bible. Before the Bible was ever written down for us to read, the stories of the Bible were actually translated and transferred from one person to the next, from one generation to the next, just by story. When the elders in the group would get together and teach the younger people the stories until they've heard them enough that they learned them. And then they became the elders in the group and they began to tell the stories as well. And it's in one of those stories in the Old Testament that God tells us something about ourselves. You see, when it comes to wishes and desiring things, we will never find that which will satisfy, satisfy us completely. It's not possible. I don't remember who said it once, but for the, it's one of the early church fathers. I don't remember who it was, but he said, that for a person to feel completely satisfied in this world, they will have to have experienced everything that this world has to offer. And there's no possible way anyone could ever do that. You see, our hearts have to be satisfied from something that's outside of us. Our, our hearts have to be satisfied from something that's even outside of this world. In fact, there's something um, wrong with our hearts that it will never lead us to a place of satisfaction. In the Old Testament, those stories, there's a man named Jeremiah. He was a prophet. A prophet just means this, that he was used by God to speak to God's people. And in Jeremiah's, God, or in Jeremiah's story, he tells the people of Israel, God's people, that the heart that they're following, that the heart that they're seeking advice from is deceitful above all things. And he says that it's desperately sick. Who could possibly understand it? What God is telling his people is that the heart lies to us. So when you have an opportunity to have whatever you want, whatever you can wish for will come true. If you look to your heart, you will always be left wanting more. But the beauty of this broken heart issue is that God can, can change it. God can change our hearts for us. We have to know that we have to look outside of ourselves and outside of our hearts for truth. We have to look outside of ourselves and outside of our hearts for that which will satisfy us. Our hearts lie to us. That's what Jeremiah was saying. It's deceitful. This is what bothers me so much when the, the saying that we teach our younger people when they're looking for some vocation or they're looking for some purpose in their life or they're, they're looking for some future and they say things to them like, well, just, just do what your heart desires. No, don't do what your heart desires. It's lying to you. God knows this. We must find truth and satisfaction and purpose and destiny and all of those things outside of ourselves. And that place that we find it is in God himself. But here's the rub. This is where the problem comes in is that we must allow God to tell us who he is and what he wants to do in our lives and not the other way around. Hear me, we have to let God come and inform us what he's like, what he wants for us, what he desires for us, and not us telling him what we want, what we desire, and what he should be for us. Jesus would constantly remind his disciples who he was and what he was doing, but they kept missing it. Continually, we know the story of Peter, one of the disciples, when Jesus was telling him that they're going to go into Jerusalem and Jesus is going to be arrested and he's going to be handed over to the authorities and he's going to be crucified. Peter actually stands in front of Jesus and says, no, that's not going to happen. That's not what's going to take place. And, and Jesus actually rebukes him. And he says these words, right? Get behind me, Satan. 
which means you're standing in direct opposition to what God wants to do. You think you know who I am, Peter, but you don't. Let me tell you who I am. He's been trying to tell him, I'm going into Jerusalem to be arrested, to be handed over, to be crucified, that I might be raised from the dead. But Peter didn't want that because he wanted a different Jesus. Thomas, the other disciples, even though Jesus had said he was going to be raised from the dead, even when Mary and the other disciples had gone to the tomb to see it empty on that Easter morning, when they came back and was telling everyone that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, there was one disciple, Thomas, who doubted it to be true. Because the picture of Jesus that he had in his mind wasn't one that was raised from the dead. The picture of Jesus that he had in his heart or the picture of Jesus that he wanted for his life didn't look like that. And until he said, I see the wounds in his hand and touch his side, will I believe? Until I can do that, I don't believe what you guys are saying. So the disciples kept missing who Jesus was, even though he told them. They kept missing his purpose for their lives, um, even though he told them they kept missing it. They wanted Jesus to fit their idea of who he was supposed to be. And we oftentimes do that as well. You see, if our idea of Jesus is not correct, then we will never reap the benefits of his coming to our lives. See, if we don't fully understand who Jesus is and why he is doing what he's doing for us in our lives, if we just reduce him or minimize him to be something that we want him to be, we will miss what he wants to do for us. There's a story that actually tells this in a profound way. It's a story of Jesus and his disciples and a, a crowd. In fact, there are only two stories, two miracles that take place um, that Jesus performed that are recorded in all four biographies or all four gospels of his life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record two miracles in all four of them. One of them is this, it's the resurrection of his dead body. And the second one is this, when Jesus feeds 5,000 people with two fish and some loaves of bread. That miracle is recorded in all five gospels. And it sounds like something like this, that the multitudes had gathered around Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has been performing miracles in front of them and his, his great fame was growing and the crowds kept coming around him. And Jesus wanted to go away with his disciples to a quiet place. And so they crossed over the sea, but the crowds went ahead of them and landed over there before Jesus arrived on boat. And Jesus, having great compassion on the people, realized they were like sheep without a shepherd and he wanted to care for them. And so he told his disciples, let's feed all of these people, go into the villages and get some food. And, and the disciples pushed back and said, we don't even have enough money. We don't, there's no way we could feed all 5,000 men plus their wives and children. We don't have it. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? And he says, we have this, a small little amount of food, two fish and some loaves. And Jesus says, bring it to me. And he blesses the food. He breaks the bread and he gives it to the disciples. And it says that all of the people were fed so much um, that they were all fed to their full. And there were actually 12 basketfuls of bread left over that they gathered together. And all of the gospel stories or all of the biographies tell us that story. But John's gospel, John's biography of Jesus adds this unique detail at the end of the story. That he gives us a unique statement at the end that says something like this. Verse 14 of John chapter 6 says this. When the people saw the sign that he, Jesus, had done, they, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. 
Verse 15, and perceiving then that they were about to come and to take him by force and to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. After this miracle of feeding them, this miracle of taking a couple fish and some loaves of bread and feeding them, they perceived that Jesus was something special and unique, the prophet that they had been reading about or hearing about. But there was another motive behind their thinking that he was a prophet. And Jesus picks up on it in verse 15. He says he perceived that they were about to make him king. It it appeared that they were going to come by force and make Jesus become their king. Now, interesting side note about this part, this time of uh, Jesus coming to earth, uh, many decades before Jesus was born and even decades after Jesus was born, there were many different Messiah types coming to the nation of Israel claiming to be a king. And all of these kings, all of these Messiahs were going to come into Israel and they're going to take on Rome, defeat Rome, push them out so that Israel could be an independent nation again, so that they could worship their God when they wanted, so that no one else would tell them what they can and cannot do. And every one of their messiahs were going to come in like a warrior, defeat the soldiers of Rome so that they could have their independence. And this is the picture that they had of Jesus. that Jesus was going to be their warrior king. That He was going to come in and save them from their oppressors. And Jesus, sensing that they were going to force him into a model that he never intended to be, he withdrew from them. He pulled away. When Jesus felt that they were pressing him into this mold and he wasn't going to be in it, he left. And he never became what they wanted for him or for them. Their model of Jesus could not help them. They reduced Jesus to be what they wanted. And thus they reduced his power to help him. Let me say that again. They reduced Jesus and the reason that he came. And when they so reduced him to just be that model of what they wanted him to be, they actually stripped away some of his power from him. And he, he pulled away from them and did not provide for them what they in fact wanted. The reality is this, is we do the same thing oftentimes that we take Jesus and we reduce Jesus to be our savior only We say things like this. We want Jesus to give us eternal life. That's what the Bible says, that whoever would believe in him would gain eternal life. John chapter three, verse 16. So we want Jesus to be our savior. We reduce him to be just our savior, but we don't want him to be our Lord, which would say something like this, that he gets to have a a role and an active voice in every aspect of our lives. We say, Jesus, you can be my savior. So when I die, I get to go to heaven, but I don't want you to be involved in my business. I don't want you to be involved in my politics. You can't tell me who I can and can't vote for. I don't want you to be involved in my finances. I don't want you to be involved in all of these other things. And all of these these things that God wants his son Jesus to be in our lives, we have reduced him to be only one thing. And then we wonder why our lives don't look like the lives that God would want for us. Because we've reduced him to be something that he's not. We've reduced him to be something that has stripped him of the power to make any change in our lives. Jesus, yes, please be my savior, but Jesus, don't get involved in the day-to-day things of my raising of my children or how I take vacations or what I do on my off time. And we just can't have it both ways. Sometimes we make Jesus to, to just be this Um, cosmic Santa Claus, I like to call it, believing that if we are good enough, that if we do all of the right things, that somehow he is obligated to give us things as well in return. 
He's watching all of us, checking to see if we've been naughty or nice. And if we've been on the nice list and somehow that's going to earn us something from God. But here's the reality. Jesus is so much more than all of those things. Jesus is so much more than our savior. He's our Lord as well. He's so much more than just a a good God who gives good gifts. He's also a God who gives us the power of his Holy Spirit, who equips change in our lives. He's also the God who takes our heart of stone, the deceitful heart that Ezekiel talks about and Jeremiah talks about and gives us a new heart, a fleshy heart, a heart that beats with the heartbeat of God. He's the one who can transform our lives so that we can have a meaning and a purpose and a destiny that we never thought possible. He's the one who can actually fulfill every dream and, and give us every satisfaction that we didn't even know we needed until we found him. He can do all of those things, but only if we let him tell us who he is and let him work in power in our lives. If we tell him what he can do, the places he can go to, the aspects of our life that we give him permission to move in, if we reduce him to something other than he, than who he truly is, we are stripping him of his power. God wants to be in our lives and he wants to show us who he really is. But the big question is this, the question that remains in all of this is how is he going to do that? Wake up. Yeah, so that's the thing that I'm jumping around in my office trying to figure out this whole week. How, how am I going to give, get the life, receive the life that I know God has for me in his son Jesus when, and you know, if, if we're all honest with each other, we're not really experiencing that part of our lives. There just seems to be something just a little off kilter. Maybe it's two degrees off, three degrees or something. It just doesn't seem right. And it begins to enter into my brain that maybe I've made Jesus to be something that he never intended to be in my life. Maybe I've actually reduced him to just be this charm or totem, right? This good luck thing that I pull out every once in a while when life gets hard. But Jesus is greater than that. And if we only allow him to be that fix for us when things get difficult, that's all he'll ever be. He'll never become anything else than that for us. So what does what is God going to do to get us to see it differently? First off, he's going to have to change the voices or change the language that's speaking to us about who his son really is. See, many of you like me, maybe didn't grow up in church. I don't know what your background is, but you have this picture of Jesus that's been painted by some religious system that maybe your friends from college told you about or your high school friends tell you about or something you've learned from Hollywood. I don't know, some Hollywood movies telling you who Jesus is and it's not the real Jesus that's out there. You've been misinformed with who Jesus is. Now, I didn't go to church growing up. I didn't become a Christian until I was well into my mid-20s. But if you would have asked me early on in my 20s who Jesus was, I probably could have told you something. He's a good man, did some good things, blah, 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 blah. Right? I had this silly example or a silly description of who Jesus actually is. But it wasn't until God and his great love for me, when he brought someone into my path who knew who Jesus was, did my life begin to take shape differently. 
See, there's this girl. Many of you know the story. I thought she was cute. She's my wife now. I can say that, right? She, and she was going to church. I just met her, and she said that she would not date anyone who didn't go to church, and she would not date anyone who didn't believe in Jesus. And I'm like, well, I'll give this Jesus guy a try. Why not? Right? So I started going to church with her, and hear me. All of the things that I thought I knew about Jesus were wrong. He was so much greater than just a guy who lived a good life some 2,000 years ago. He was some more, something more than just this iconic figure that many religions in the world sort of worship. He was so much more than all of that. She was letting me see that she was having a personal relationship with this. And then with him. And then there's the church that I was going to, the guy that was getting up to preach every week, he's preaching the Bible. And, he, and the Bible is informing me of who Jesus is. And hear me when I say this. It was radically different than the Jesus that I'd heard about. Hear this. When you read the Bible, the hero of the story is Jesus. He's the hero. And so many times when we, when we hear about religion and church services, oftentimes we're made to be the hero. I love you. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero. Oftentimes the crowds that we run with can influence who Jesus is for us. Did you know that? The crowds of people that we run with, they can inform us who Jesus actually is. In fact, this is what's happening to Jesus' disciples. So at the end of this feeding of the 5,000, Jesus begins to perceive that the crowds want to come by force and make him king. And he notices that his disciples are getting pulled into this sway as well. So it says in John's or in Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 45, that immediately Jesus took all of his disciples and he made them get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake before him. He pulled them out of the noise of nonsense. I think some of you need to stop listening to who your friends say Jesus is. You need to stop listening to who your friends say Jesus should be for you, what he can do for you. You need to listen to what God is saying Jesus is. You need to let Jesus tell you who he is. You need to not let some of the crowds that you run with. Hear me. Some of you need to stop listening to your friends when it comes to Jesus because they don't know who he is. Right. Some of you need to stop listening to some preachers who are telling you who Jesus is, because I think they're missing it sometimes too. hear me. We need to go to God and let him speak to us who Jesus is. God knows that Jesus knows that he pulls his disciples away, sends them off and says, listen, I'll deal with you guys later. And then he dismisses the crowds when Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray. The only transformed life we can ever hope to experience will be if we we allow God to make us new, if we allow God to come in and replace that untrustworthy, lying heart, deceitful heart that's inside of us. And the only way that can happen is by faith in his son, Jesus. That we become new creatures when we believe that God sent Jesus, his only son, to the earth, that he died upon a cross to atone for our own sin, that God raised him from the dead. And in faith in that, we gain the hope of eternal life, yay, but also a good life here and now. And the only way to let that happen is to let God do what he wants to do. So here's what I'd like to do. On an Easter morning, many, many years ago, some 24 years ago, I became a Christian. All of the lies or the misinformation that I'd gained about Jesus was stripped away from me on that one morning. God, in his power through the Holy Spirit, he opened my eyes to see who Jesus really was for me. He was so much more than good luck for me. 
He was so much more than just a name I added to the end of my prayer before I ate my lunch in Jesus' name. Right? He was so much more than all of those things. On that Easter morning, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And here's what I've prayed already this morning, that there would be people who would come into this church today and that they would be willing to surrender their lives to Jesus as well. This is no sales tactic. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I just know this. Many of you right now are beginning to wonder if the Jesus you follow or think you know is really the Jesus of the Bible. And God wants to to clarify that for you. He wants to change your heart. Because maybe some of you in the room actually are following a false Jesus. And hear me when I say this. A false Jesus cannot save you. A false Jesus cannot provide for you what you want him to provide. That's the issue that those people were having with Jesus. He was never going to perform what they wanted him to perform. He could not do that. And without a complete surrender to Jesus, without a a being born again experience, without any of those things, Jesus will only take you so far. He can't do everything for you. So in that regard, I would like to pray for us. And I'd just like to lead you in a prayer. So if you are in this room and you would like to surrender your life to Jesus, I would just say, just repeat the words after me. And you don't have to do it out loud if you don't want to. I didn't do it out loud. When I, I just quietly, when the, when the pastor was leading me in a prayer, I just simply responded in my heart. So if you want to make that transition today, if you want to become a Christian today, if you want to really understand who Jesus is today, just bow your heads and... Um, You can just repeat after me in your hearts, if you will. Uh, Lord, I believe that my heart is deceitful. That all things that I've strived to find in my life to bring satisfaction has never fully satisfied. God, I need something more. And I believe Jesus is the doorway to that. God, I know Jesus is your son. And I know that he was born of a virgin that he lived a perfect life and he gave his life as a ransom, as payment for my sin. And I believe, God, that Jesus, your son, died on a cross, was buried in a grave, and that you raised him from the dead on the third day. God, I believe that if I put my faith into Jesus instead of myself, if if I put my faith in the work that you're doing instead of the work that I have to do, then I can be saved. That my heart could be made new. That I could have the Holy Spirit come and empower me to live differently. And God, I want that today. Change my life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things that we've, uh, we as a church, we've been desiring for many years now is time and space to really minister in prayer for one another. So if you've been here for a long time, you remember downstairs used to be really crowded. Remember how crowded it would be? And we would have these moments during service when we would say, if anyone wants prayer, we'd like to pray with you. So if you just go out these doors and go down the hallway and we'd pray for you out there. But now that we have a bigger space, we want to pray for you here. So as I dismiss all of you and you're free to go to to have a great lunch and a great week, whatever you want to do. If you're here and you have a prayer need, If there's something going on in your life that you just can't carry by yourself, 
we love you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. So when everyone else makes their way out the side door here, you, you can come forward and we'll just pray for you right here. Does that sound good? Okay. Anyways, don't all jump up at once. I love you all. God bless you. I hope to see you next week at nine o'clock. Yes. Amen. All right. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.